Last week, we started a brand new series looking at the seven deadly sins, these categories of sin that the church has developed over centuries to try to uh, try to help uh, Christians diagnose major sins that occur within our lives. Last week, we talked about sin being a force, some, some, in some mysterious sense, it's a force that leads us away from God's will, which is why in texts like Genesis 4, God can describe sin as crouching at our doors. Sin crouches at the door. It wants to devour us. This is a force in our lives that wants to tear at the very fabric of reality and wants us to call those tears real life. Sin would have us think that our transgressions against God, our rebellion against God, is just natural and good. Sin deceives us into thinking that to sin is to be human, that it's normal, that that's no big deal. We shouldn't care about our sin. We shouldn't care about our rebellion against God. But we know from scripture and from our experience living life that sin hollows us out, that it collapses us, that if we leave our sin to its own devices, we turn into a crumpled mess. And we know that Jesus has something better for us, which is really what this series is all about. It's a study of the categories of sin that kill us, that crumple us, that tear us apart. But it's really meant for our joy, not our shame. We look at these categories, we look at these sins, not so that we can beat ourselves up over them, but so that we are more accurately able to diagnose these sins in our lives so that we can accurately treat them in our lives. Because you can... If you don't have a proper diagnosis, you're not going to be able to develop a proper treatment. That's just, that, that's intuitive medicine 101, right? If you break your arm, let's say if, if, if you broke your left arm, you wouldn't bandage your right foot. That would be silly. It wouldn't do anything to help your arm. If you had a cold, you wouldn't go and seek chemotherapy. Knowing the type of illness that you have, knowing what's going on inside of you, helps you to then treat that thing. Knowing the cure, well, knowing, knowing the sins that we deal with, being able to recognize them and be able to accurately say, this is what's happening within me, allows us to then search for the proper cure for that sin, for those sins that we most wrestle with so that we can be released from the clutches of sin. The sin that's crouching at the door waiting to pounce. And what we're going to find again and again is that this process of accurately describing our condition so that we can find a cure will always lead us back towards Jesus. Because it's through Jesus and our faith in Jesus that we are able to live our lives as God intended for us to live, which is a life of freedom in Christ. And so today we're taking a look at the sin 
of envy. The sin of envy. What is envy? This is the first question. Uh, first question to answer. And I, the, the simplest way of describing envy, of defining it, is that envy is resentful longing. Envy is resentful longing. That is, it's looking at other people's possessions, other people's wealth, other people's life, what, just what they have in their life, and saying, I deserve that, and you do not deserve that. It goes one step beyond jealousy. Jealousy would just be saying, oh, I really want that. I'm jealous of you for having that. Envy moves from that want to resenting the fact that you have that other thing that I want. Envy always moves towards resentment, but it starts with a thing. It resents that somebody has a thing, but it always moves to resenting the person. And why? Because sin tears at the fabric of reality. And because we know that God is a triune God, a God of, who is three in one, a God of relationship, a God who is love. The very fabric of reality is relational. And so we can expect sin to break down the relationships of our lives. And especially these deadly sins, it, they're, they're going to tear at our relationship with God, tear at our relationship with ourselves, tear down our relationships with other people, and, and, and also destroy creation if we let it get there. Our envy, our resentful longing we could probably say most obviously destroys relationships with others. But it's not just that relationship that envy breaks. Envy resents the, the, the person who has the thing that we want. But envy also resents the one who we think should have given us the thing that we want. And that's God. We look, at, we look at people and say, you have that and I want it, and you shouldn't have it, but I deserve it. God deserves to, I deserve it, so God should give it to me. And that breaks our relationship with God, because envy makes us look at God and say, well, what about me? Why haven't you given that to me? Aren't I good enough? What's your problem, God? Because obviously I'm fantastic and wonderful and I do all the things that you tell me to do and I should be rewarded for that. That's Envy causes us to look at the world as though we are the judges of the world and the judges of, of, uh, of knowing what it is that we need in any given moment. It breaks down our trust in God, who is a good giver, a wise giver, and who gives us all that we truly need in life. So, just as a starting point, envy is a, re is a resentful longing that looks at others and what they have and resents them for it. It looks at the good gifts God has given them and resents those people for receiving good gifts. But then it also resents God for being a good gift giver. Which 
If you remember the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says these are the, t- these are the greatest commandments. These are the two greatest commandments. Well, envy stops you from loving God because it, for- it causes you to resent him. And it stops you from being able to love your neighbor because it causes you to resent them. Envy causes you to focus on stuff, but even more so on yourself. It, it turns us into selfish human beings. Which ultimately means that envy is idolatry. Because with, when we are envious, we are replacing Jesus at the center of our lives with other things. And it's other things that we're saying we deserve these things. We want these things. We, we, we look at others and we say we want that and we hate that they have it. And instead of Jesus being on the thrones of our hearts, we, we, we remove him and try to put all sorts of other things there instead. Rather than giving thanks to God, envy causes us to shake our fists at God. And this is what scripture says again and again is at the heart of humanity's sin problem. It's our lack of giving thanks to God. In Romans 1, it even says this, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. This is the mark of sinful human beings. We don't seek to live holy lives and we don't even give thanks to God for his goodness and his good gifts. Primary of all, the breath in our lungs. I'm willing to bet most of us, myself included, can go through an entire day and not give God thanks for the breath in our lungs, the water in our taps, the food in our fridges, on our tables. We have so many good gifts in our life, but how often do we actually stop and think about them and thank the Lord for them? Instead, what do we do? We look at what we have And we don't see what we have. We see what we don't have. And then we look at other people and see that they have those things that we don't have. And we become jealous as a first step, then envious and saying, well, I deserve those they don't. And that breaks our relationship with God and each other. So what does scripture say about envy? There are a a ton of passages, especially in the New Testament, about this sin And it's because it is in almost every vice list in the New Testament. So, for example, in Galatians 5.21, it's part of a a vice list of the works of the flesh. And that's comparing it to the fruit of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, we're told that love is not envious. That if you want to be a loving person, you can't be envious. Envy and love are are opposites. They, they, They don't go together. But there's a vice list in Mark 7 that Jesus gives that includes envy in Romans chapter 1 verse 29 and in 1 Peter 2 verse 1. But here's a good uh, longer example in James chapter 3 verse 16. This really sums up why envy is included in all these vice lists. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Envy comes 
from the depths of our heart. It's which is why it's called a deadly sin. It's a it's a it's a baseline sin. It's the found it's a foundational sin that gives rise to all sorts of other sins, to all sorts of other evil practices. And so where you find envy and strife, envy and selfish ambition, there you're going to find disorder and evil practices and strife. Being envious, in other words, shows that we aren't living lives that are empowered by the Spirit of God. We are not living lives sanctified by His Spirit. We are not li- we are not being envious shows that we are not being transformed into the image of Christ. Even if we are confessing faith in Christ, if we are consistently envious, we should be questioning, well, you know, am I actually allowing the Spirit to be at work in me? Or am I confessing Jesus with my lips and then on a Sunday and then going up about the rest of my week however I want? There's a, there's, a, there's a great parable that Jesus says about envy as well in, in Matthew chapter 20 that I'll just overview, but it's, it, 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 it's, worth, uh, it's worth taking a look at uh, this week if you'd like. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is a, a parable about workers in a field. So there's a, a farmer who has a, who has a big field, and he needs, he needs workers to go about it, uh, go about this, the farming. So he goes out at the beginning of the day, hires a bunch of farmers for a day's wage, then goes out later in the day at 12, and at 12 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m., and constantly he's getting more and more workers. And then at the end of the day, he has to pay them their day's wage. So he starts with those who he hired last and gives them the same pay that he gives the, the people who he hired first. And those people who he hired first get, their, get, get very upset. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We expected more because of what you were giving them. And in the perilous farmer says, well, what's it to you? I get to choose what I pay people, and this is the way that I'm doing it. You agreed to a day's wage? That's what you're getting. And the, 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 and it ends with this line that you've probably heard before. The last will be first, and the first will be last. The last will be first, and the first last. The implication being that the first should be cheering the last on with joy. Because they are getting God's grace and God's mercy as well. But if you look at this parable, Jesus... <laughs> Jesus is trying to say, you know, I'm going to pour out my grace on everyone, but it's going to come at different times. Uh, but the times actually don't matter. What matters is the giving. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's me giving to you. It's me giving access into the kingdom. And this is what the kingdom of God is like, the parable says. The implication is that we should be filled with joy when anyone comes into the kingdom, not resenting them for coming into it later on, but being given the same day's wage, being given the same reward. But envy, envy kills joy. Envy kills our compassion and it kills our capacity to celebrate with others. 
you've probably experienced this in your life at those times when maybe somebody said, oh, I got this great job. And you think to yourself, boy, I would really like that job, which implies that they shouldn't, that person you're sharing it shouldn't get it, that you should. It stops you from being able to celebrate. You can't celebrate with them and say, oh, praise God for this great thing that he's doing in your life, for this gift that he has given you. Envy says, no, 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 ignore the celebration. Just focus on yourself. Be selfish. And ignore celebrating what the Lord's doing in their life. Just imagine what the Lord should be doing in your life. Envy kills our joy. And this is, in, in the parable, it's, it's pointed out quite clearly that they, these, those other workers were jealous of, of the, 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 the workers who came first were jealous of those who came last. But Jesus says, you know, the, the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. In God's kingdom, everything is upside down. But here's a, uh, one last passage, and this one's a really important one. Uh, for the topic of envy. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Now, did you catch that? Envy rots, but it's not the flesh. It's not skin. Envy rots bone. Envy rots bone. That's a fundamental rot. That if you let it fester, it's going to ruin the entire body. And you know what? We know this. Like instinctively, we don't like being around envious people. Because they have no joy. Because the joy, their joy has been stolen from them. But we also have a, we have a phrase to describe them, don't we? It's that they're rotten inside. They're rotten people. This passage is giving us, this proverb is giving us great warning. Envy rots your bones. We can think it's no big deal to be envious every once in a while, but scripture says again and again, this sin is deadly. It rots you from the core of your being outwards. So be careful. Don't ignore this. That if you see envy in your life, you should, be, you should be running away from it. You should be casting it out of your life because it's going to rot you from the inside out. It's going to destroy your life and you're, you're just going to think it's normal. Which is exactly what this force of sin wants to do. It wants to deceive you into thinking that to sin is to be human. But Jesus says, no, that's not true. And he comes to show us what it means to be uh, the fullest of what humanity was designed to be. But this verse also gives us a clue, a cure for our envy. A heart at peace gives life. A heart at peace gives life. Scripture tells us that we have peace with God through Christ. Which means that God is not at war with you. 
you know, oftentimes when we think of war, and especially when we think of uh, what we can, we can come to thinking about our relationship with God in these warring terms, because we're often taught at a very young age that God is angry at us, that God's angry with our sin, that God is, that God's wrathful. And it's true that God is wrathful. And it's true that God is angry at sin. But being angry at sin does not equal being angry at you personally. Being angry at your sin doesn't mean being angry at you personally. Our war with God is not a war between two equal countries. Eh? Our war with God is not God's war with us. Because our war is rebellion against God against a good God, a good King. And so what does, how does that sort of play into how we think about peace? Because we can look at the life of Jesus and we're shown what God does in the midst of that rebellion. At that time um, and, and throughout all of history, when God could say, I fully condemn you, when he could say, the ledger's just too red. When he could say, I'm just, I'm just giving up on you. When he could say, I'm bringing this war to an end and crushing you. What does God do? In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it's one of the places that scripture describes it. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's through Jesus' death on the cross that we can now have peace with God. The war is over, but it's over because God has acted, not because of anything that we have done. So God isn't keeping some ledger of every wrong move we make waiting to pounce on us because of it. No, instead, through the shedding of his blood, Christ has paid the debt of our sin and has brought peace with God and peace with others. This is the message of reconciliation that God has given his church to proclaim. Paul says as much in 2 Corinthians 5. And so what is the kingdom cure for envy? It's peace. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. If the peace of Christ is ruling in our heart, it becomes very, very difficult to be envious because allowing Christ's peace to rule our hearts means allowing reconciliation with God to permeate our lives. And if that's happening, we are engaging with people on equal ground, being able to see God at work in their lives and using that as the measure for celebration, not our not our whims, not our desires, not the things we find pleasure in, but we, we can 
see God at work and, and just be able to say, praise you, Lord, for being at work, for working in this person's life, for giving them this good gift, for giving me this good gift. And it shifts our perspective of how we live. Here's a, a, a longer passage from Titus chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. So this is Paul writing to Titus, and he starts out by saying, these are all good things. These are all good behaviors. This is, this is what a good life looks like. Do what is good. Be obedient don't slander anyone, be peaceable, be considerate, always be gentle. This is what you are to strive for. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, in verse three, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. If you are, uh, like, this is really important because this is what envy does. And this is what all the other seven deadly sins do it. it. They enslave us to passions and pleasures. They deceive us. They cause us to be disobedient and they make us into fools. Paul says, this is, we were like that before Jesus. He goes on, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hated and hating one another. Being being connecting malice and envy that like there's there's actually something connected with these that 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 malice is being led to be hated and then envy is the action is is actually hatred towards each other boy that 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 places the seriousness of this sin into context a little bit and it also reminds us that Envy is foolishness, it's disobedience, it's deception, and it's us being enslaved to passions and pleasures. But our Lord frees us from that enslavement. He says, Paul goes on, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. In other words, Jesus saves us and brings peace through his sacrifice on the cross because of who he is, not because of who we are. Because God is gracious, God is gracious to us. Because God is love, God is loving to us. Because God is slow to anger, he is slow to anger with us. And because God is faithful, God is faithful with us. But none of it is because of us. God saves because of who God is, not who we are. Are. And keeping that at the front of our minds every single day will keep envy at bay. Because all believers are given 
the Holy Spirit generously. And if we are committed to being Jesus' people, if we're committed to living life that is empowered by God's Holy Spirit, it means that we're going to live a life of generosity, compassion, and love, a life that is uh, shaped more and more each day into the image of Christ. That we should, we should look at our lives every single day and see ourselves becoming more like Jesus by the power of God's Spirit. And so bringing us back to that Philippians passage that describes Jesus giving up all the treasures of heaven, giving up his status within heaven to become a human being, to give himself as a, as a sacrifice for humanity, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul begins that, that beautiful um, hymn with these instructions to the church in Philippi. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If we are being led by the Spirit, transformed by the Spirit, sanctified by God's Spirit, this is, the li- this is what life will look like for us. And if we keep at the front of our minds that we are we're, we're saved, not because of anything that we do, but because of just who God is, who Jesus is, not because of who we are. We can accept that gift of grace and then approach the world in humility to be able to not be envious of other people, but think more highly of them than we think of ourselves, which allows us to celebrate them, to 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 joyously engage in relationship with them, all as an outcome of our joyous peace with God. And so this week, I'm going to invite you to write out Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You can print it from somewhere like BibleGateway.com or Bible Hub. You could write it out on a piece of paper and post it somewhere that you're going to be able to see it regularly. That might be a, a, a bathroom mirror. It might be the, the back of your front door so you see it on the way out. It could be on your fridge. It could be, I don't know, if, you, if you're working from home and you often end up looking straight up, just trying to stretch, you can put it on the roof so that every time you look up, you see a Bible passage. There are all sorts of, just be, a, be, be creative, I guess. But place this somewhere where you're going to see it every day. And every time you see it, spend the 30 seconds to read it and remember all that Christ has done for you so that you can take that reminder into the rest of your day. And you can have the peace of Christ rule in your heart, which will keep the deadly sin of envy at bay.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us, if we struggle with envy, this resentful longing, I pray your Holy Spirit would guard our hearts and help us to, um, to throw away the, the, these chains of sin that bind us. Father, we know that you have a better life for us than what sin promises. And we want to experience that life. So if there is envy in our life that's rotting us away, help us to overcome it. Help us to cast it away. Help us to, to, to live our lives as you intended them to be lived, which is empowered by your spirit, becoming more and more like your son, Jesus. For all of us this morning, Father, I pray that you would help us to know that we have peace with you through Christ. And I pray that you would keep that at the front of our minds so that as we go into the rest of this week, we would be able to naturally, and then really supernaturally, think of others more highly than we think of ourselves which will guard us from envying others and enable us to love you and love our neighbors as ourselves more fully. So be with us, Father. Help us to, help us to be more like you every single day, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.